You're listening to Payers, Providers, and Patients Oh My. I'm Pyle Nanabuddy. On today's episode, we'll hear a conversation between our very own Jody Daniel and three guests in the health information industry. Jody is a partner in Kroll's DC office in the healthcare group who leads the firm's digital health practice and also serves as a managing director of Kroll Health Solutions. Our three guests today are Erica Galvez from Manifest Medics, Nicole Sweeney from CRISP, and Jay Nakashima from eHealth Exchange. That, I will turn it over to Jody. Thanks, Pyle and Joe. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement, also known as TEFCA. I don't assume TEFCA is a household term for everyone listening, so let me explain what TEFCA is. TEFCA, which the government was mandated to create under the 21st Century Cures Act, is a governance framework to enable greater sharing of health data nationwide among health information networks, providers, health plans, individuals, and other entities. Basically, to connect networks much like networks in other sectors, like the wireless network or the ATM network. The main goal is to develop uniform policies and technical requirements for data sharing to ensure that all participants can access real-time interoperable health information. So included in TEFCA is CA, or the Common Agreement, which is intended to standardize and simplify legal agreements among parties to avoid the need for one-to-one agreements with each endpoint or network, but will require flow-down provisions and potentially renegotiation of current participation agreements. The TEFCA was published in January of 2022, but we're talking about this now because the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT at HHS, or ONC, held an event to announce entities that were approved as qualified health information networks under the TEFCA framework. Here to help us unpack TEFCA, recent TEFCA activities, and future implications are our three panelists. First, Erica Galvez is the Chief Executive Officer at Manifest Medics, a nonprofit health data network in California that facilitates the secure exchange of over 34 million clinical and claims records through a network of over 125 hospitals, 1,500 ambulatory care sites, and 12 health plans. And personally, Erica is a former colleague of mine from ONC. Nicole Sweeney is the General Counsel and Chief Privacy Officer for CRISP Shared Services, a not-for-profit company providing the infrastructure for health information exchanges and health data utilities in six states. Nicole is also the GC and CPO for CRISP and CRISP-DC, which are the state or district-designated HIEs in Maryland and D.C. And Jay Nakashima runs eHealth Exchange, a not-for-profit national health technology firm exchanging patient data in all 50 states among five federal agencies, 61 state and regional HIEs, and 75% of U.S. hospitals. We are so excited to have you all joining us today. So let's get started. Erica. I'll start with you. You and I worked at ONC during many attempts at governance of health information exchange. Can you set the stage for us of why the policy is being advanced and what TEFCA is supposed to accomplish? And as you're talking about that, if you can talk about like the significance, similarities or differences with early attempts and how does it change from the current landscape, that would be great. I would be happy to. And thanks for having me participate in the podcast. It's fun to be talking basically about governance together again. That's a big question that you've teed up. And I guess I would think back the conversations we used to have about governance and the purpose of those discussions, you know, in our governance efforts were really focused on establishing trust across unaffiliated organizations that we knew data needed to flow across defining rules of the road, 
including common technical standards and protocols for how that information would move. And, and just as important, processes for how decisions would be made, because none of that is static, right? This is always a dynamic ecosystem we're operating in, and the health data network universe is, is always evolving and changing. And so as I think about the purpose of TEFCA, I, you know, I think it's very reflective of those core concepts of governance at a scale, though, that is nationwide and intended, I think, at least from my perspective, if I situate myself historically, uh, when TEFCA first came into existence, really intended to bridge some of the gaps that existed at that time, which in my personal opinion are probably smaller gaps today um, in national networks like eHealth Exchange and Care Equality. I think those have grown significantly since TEFCA came into existence and, and has evolved. And so, you know, I, I think it's very similar in many respects to our early attempts around governance. Erica, thanks. That's really helpful. I think you're right in many ways. I tend to agree. And you mentioned eHealth Exchange and the progress eHealth Exchange and other networks have made in sharing data over the last few years. And Jay, let me turn to you. ONC just announced its first approved qualified health information networks, or QHINs, and among them was eHealth Exchange. I was wondering if you could talk about the progress your company has made and why, given the progress you've made, you and others have decided to participate in TEFCA and why you applied to be a QHIN. Yeah, you bet. So eHealth Exchange was originally called the National Health Information Network. And it was an ONC project out of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office of the National Coordinator. And I think some others on the phone call probably have a much more articulate and, uh, and perhaps accurate memory of what happened back then, 2006 through 2011, because I was not in the picture at the time. But it's my understanding that when ONC was ready to claim success with the interoperability project after X number of years, some of those organizations whose data was being exchanged said, hey, we've got to keep this thing going. And so they turned the National Health Information Network over to the private sector. And so eHealth Exchange was formed as a national nonprofit dedicated to the public good as an HIE network. And, you know, some of those early pioneers off the top of my head were federal agencies. So CMS and the SSA and the Veterans Health Administration, the Defense Health Agency, some of the state and regional HIEs. I definitely remember the Utah HIE was part of that. And then some big providers. So now in 2023, as you mentioned, ONC has announced that six networks have had their application approved. And that doesn't mean that they are official QHENS, Qualified Health Information Networks yet, but they've gone through a pretty momentous first step successfully. And eHealth Exchange is one of those organizations. So we're hoping that after each of these six QHINs complete testing and other requirements throughout the rest of the year, we're hoping that we become officially designated qualified health information networks. 
And in my mind, what that means is that we are national HIEs or, or health information networks who have government's sort of good housekeeping seal of approval. And so in this framework or paradigm, the idea is that each healthcare organization, often providers, will have a choice as to which, if any, QHIN they want to exchange with. You know, this is a voluntary program, at least in the beginning. And so, again, there are going to be multiple QHINs. Six organizations have had their applications approved so far. And so these QHINs, like eHealth Exchange, are going to facilitate data not only within our network, but also facilitate the exchange of data with the other QHINs and their participants. And so I think the analogy you provided before about, you know, the mobile phone network is still a good one. So just like, you know, some folks have a T-Mobile mobile phone, others have a Verizon or an AT&T, you know, all different networks. This is creating a, a more seamless government-sponsored ability for national exchange among different networks. Thank you so much, Jay. I'm going to turn over next to Nicole. One of the key pieces in building this network is the common agreement. And I know in your role as GC at CRISP that you have had to work with a lot of participants in negotiating agreements and having them sign participation agreements with your organization. I'm wondering how you see participants reacting to the common agreement and the flow down provisions, and how does the common agreement align with current HIE participation agreements from your perspective? Yeah, thanks, Jody. First, thanks for having me. Um, it's so fun to nerd out about this stuff, and my family really appreciates <laughs> it when I'm doing that, you know, like not at the dinner table. So it's a great outlet for me to do that. Thank you so much for having me. I will say, first of all, that I'm pretty lucky because Chris came out early on right after the common agreement was circulated last year and said that we were not going to apply to be a QHIN, that we very much believed in TEFCA, but we know people like Jay and his organization already have that infrastructure in place. So we want to be participants, but not necessarily have to go through all of the stuff that Jay's going to have to go through. So we don't have to deal with the common agreement, which is great, but I do have to deal with the flowdowns. And we're expecting that what will happen is Chris will join a QHIN. We have said that we were going to join eHealth Exchange's QHIN if they become a QHIN. And then they would flow down certain provisions to us. And then we would flow down certain provisions to our participants. And as far as that goes, honestly, we expect most, if not all of our HIE participants to join a QHIN through their EHR vendor. Again, assuming those companies are selected as QHINs. We do believe that it's important for us to provide what we're calling an on-ramp for providers and public health authorities that don't have this option so that folks that don't have that option still have a way to participate. Since we already exchange data with national networks, our participation agreement reflects that permitted use, whether it's through TEFCA or some other national network that we work with. And since a given entity can only join one QHIN, we expect really it's just a small percentage of our participants or TEFCA sub-participants or downstream sub-participants in this case to opt in to TEFCA data sharing through CRISP. Again, we expect most of our participants to use their EHR vendor. So what we're thinking we're going to do is we expect to accomplish this opt-in through an addendum to our participation agreement. Those organizations and only those organizations that wanted to opt-in would be listed in our directory as participating in TEFCA under CRISP through the eHealth Exchange QHIN and their information ultimately routed QHIN to QHIN. 
participants who do not opt in would still be part of our HIE, but their transactions would not be routed any further than they are today. Basically, it would just be business as usual. Obviously, there's going to be a lot more ins and outs to this as we actually implement it. But this is, again, something that we are already doing. We're already working with national networks. So it's just one more step to making sure that we are complying with those flowdowns. And we know the folks that are opting into using TEFCA through our network. Thanks, Nicole. You know, I've heard lots of challenges and opportunities by various folks as they've heard ONC rolling out their policy. And it sounds like Chris has really thought this through and you make it sound super easy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think like most things in life, if people are committed to it, it's going to be easy. And if not, (laughs) it's probably not going to be. So yeah, we're very committed to making it work and we will see what happens. Makes perfect sense. So that brings me to my next question. And Erica, I'll throw this one to you. It is a lot about whether folks are committed to making this work or not. As Jay mentioned, TEFCA is voluntary. That's what it says in the 21st Century Cures Act. And, you know, having worked in government, you know, the challenges and opportunities to push the private sector to take action to meet HHS policy. So just wondering whether you have any thoughts on whether entities will choose to participate and whether you think HHS will take action to try to make voluntary not so voluntary by connecting TEFCA to other programs or other policies that different entities in the healthcare sector have to comply with? Yeah, it's a good question, Jody, And I think it's one that many of us are thinking about and actively observing, you know, to see how things play out around the voluntary nature of TEFCA. I think anytime something is voluntary, the success of that thing depends on how well it solves real world problems and problems that are worth solving. So, to you know, individual access is a centerpiece of TEFCA here right out of the gate. To the extent that it helps address challenges around individual access and do that at scale and in a way that is cheaper and faster and more effective than other existing solutions, you know, it'll probably drive participation and grow to the extent it doesn't. It may not. And I think if I were a betting woman, I am not a betting woman, but if I were a betting woman, I would bet that if there's not significant uptake across TEFCA over some period of time, we should probably expect to see some of our federal agencies, ONC in particular, looking for policy hooks. And those don't just have to be within ONC. Those could be in partner agencies like CMS or CDC, uh, others that basically through policy activity turn across those other agencies, turn the voluntary nature of TEFCA into more of a mandatory participation in order to fulfill the goals or the requirements of those other policies. So I don't think it's impossible for that to happen at some point in the future. I also don't have a magic ball to to predict the future accurately. So it'll be interesting to see. Right. And this only works if there's enough participation, right? Because that's right. To nationwide network, we have to get past a tipping point for this to really make sense, right? That's exactly right. A network isn't really a network if you don't have participation. Exactly. So Erica, you made an interesting point. You started talking about individual access, which I know a lot of health information exchanges currently don't provide, and it is something that is part of TEFCA. Nicole, maybe I'll turn to you next. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the data exchange purposes under TEFCA and how they align with current HIA activities and interoperability efforts and 
Erica mentioned that there's some opportunity here, but also what are some of the challenges in expanding the scope of purposes that HIEs will use for exchanging health information? Yeah, absolutely. So every HIE is different. So if you've seen one HIE, you've seen one HIE, really depends on the agreements that HIEs have with their participants. So as health information exchange, we can only exchange data to the extent that our participants say that we can. So as you just mentioned, Jody, there are quite a few exchange purposes that are on the horizon. The ones that will require responses right from go are going to be treatment and individual access. I'll start with treatment because that's a lot easier. <laughs> treatment should be something that all HIEs are currently capable of doing and allowed to do under their participation agreements. So that one's probably going to be very straightforward for most folks that want to participate in QHIN. But as you mentioned, there are quite a few HIEs that have traditionally not allowed for individual access, or rather their participants have said that they do not want to allow individual access through HIEs. They'd rather have individuals go to each of their providers to get that information. I'll say again, I feel very lucky in this situation because CRIS participants allow our data to be used for individual access. So we're set, but it's very likely that other HIEs and many HIEs that, that we talk to on a regular basis are going to need to change their agreements before joining a QHIN. So they're going to have to go through an additional period of time where they renegotiate their participation agreements, which is no small feat. <laughs> In my experience, that typically takes anywhere from 18 months to two years. So there is, for many HIEs, going to have to be some period of time beforehand where they're changing their participation agreements to get ready to be a QHIN. I think what you're really seeing is that we've been experiencing pendulum shift in data right and access over the past you know, five, 10 years before restrictions on data have been the rule. And now we're really opening up data to everyone who could have access to it. And like everyone else, HIEs are adapting to this paradigm shift. I think as we do, more and more HIEs are likely to allow patient access. And I think TEFCA is going to help push that, you know, where maybe some HIEs would not have thought about doing it before, they are going to have to under TEFCA. So that I think is a way that TEFCA is really going to change the landscape. And then as more and more responses are potentially required beyond treatment and individual access, like everyone in the system, including HIEs, will have to continue to evolve to allow more and more data flow, of course, with appropriate privacy and security protections. And again, we'll see if this works, right? As Erica was just saying, if it does, the opportunity for data exchange is, is really exciting. But I think, again, we're experiencing a pendulum shift. And that could be hard, but I think TEFCA is going to push us in that direction. Thanks, Nicole. You both, Nicole and Erica, mentioned, you know, if this succeeds and we'll wait and see, you know, it's still unclear about how TEFCA will roll out in the healthcare sector. I'm wondering what healthcare organizations should really be focused on in the coming months. And maybe Jay, I'll turn to you on this one. Do they, do healthcare providers and health plans and health technology companies, do they need to follow these TEFCA activities? And if so, what would you recommend for entities that are listening to this podcast to think about and just to keep up on what's going on? What should folks be paying attention to at this point? Yeah, great question. So, you know, we've seen multiple regulations over the years, and this is not a regulation. It's a voluntary framework. But that said, you know, the requirements of TEFCA are nothing to sneeze at. They're complex uh, and they're still being formed. And they, I, I suspect they will be as new purposes of use exchange will, will be rolled out over the next 
couple of years. But I recommend that healthcare organizations do go through the time and effort to read through the obligations that have been identified so far, or at least look at a summary, especially if they have an association or a vendor that helps them with that type of thing. And then I think, you know, once they have an idea about what the TEFCA requirements are, you know, they should think about whether or not they want to engage now because there are new use cases. You know, individual access is new to many. And then they should decide if they want to also be ready when those new parts of TEFCA come on board in the coming months and years. So, you know, let's say to exchange for healthcare operations purposes and payment and broader public health and so on and so forth. And then I think they need to evaluate if they do want to engage with TEFCA, you know, what type of a QN they want to engage with. So I think they should look at things like, you know, what QNs have published about whether or not they use secondary data for secondary uses. So they've got a lot of work to do as providers and others. Thanks, Jay. Okay, I'm going to ask one last question, and I'm going to ask each of you, if you wouldn't mind, looking into your crystal balls. I know, Erica, you said you're not a betting woman, but hopefully you guys have some ideas of what the future might hold. I'm going to ask each of you just quickly, how do you see data sharing and interoperability evolving in the next 10 years? And do you think TEFCA is going to really work? Erica, why don't I go to you first? I was just thinking about this, Jody, and I might offer some perspective from California, since we operate in California and many of the ways we think about TEFCA's intersection across the ecosystem is kind of California-centric. And I would say we have such a broad view of health in the state. It requires interoperability, not just across the traditional provider ecosystem, you know, the traditional healthcare ecosystem, hospitals, labs, and clinics, but requires us to expand interoperability into communities across counties, across social services, across community-based organizations that have historically not been part of this dialogue. And so I think from my perspective, if if I look, you know, 10 years out, I see an interoperability ecosystem that looks pretty different, frankly, from what it looks like today. And it connects a much broader set of organizations and support systems and structures that enable health and wellness in the broadest sense, not just in the kind of healthcare sense. Jay, what do you think? Yeah, I, I definitely think TEFCA is going to work, but uh, it's not going to be the end-all be-all. You know, when I look out over the next five, 10 years, you know, the thing that really strikes me is I believe there's going to be a much larger reliance on state and regional HIEs. You know, when people say healthcare is local, you know, it, it truly is. And, you know, part of that is for the reasons that Erica just mentioned that, you know, engaging with the local non healthcare community organizations the food banks, the social workers, the homeless shelters, and so on and so forth is so critical to achieving positive patient outcomes. So the state and regional HIAs are going to have a broader role. And I think TEFCA is going to help to tie together that local or state data across the country better. Thanks, Jay. You both bring up such an important point about the importance of data sharing across not just the healthcare ecosystem, but also social care providers and others that as we're looking at leveraging different kinds of organizations and services to help improve health and health outcomes. Nicole, that means that you get the last word. 
Well, Jay stole my answer. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm, I am going to build off of what he said. So this is with my chief privacy officer hat on. I really think the biggest thing we're going to need to tackle in the next five to 10 years is consent management at the local level. So like Jay said, the local governance of data. I see this all the time as a privacy officer. You know, what is considered sensitive, sensitive, excuse me, data in one state isn't necessarily considered sensitive data in another state. And as we start to exchange this data, it's going to become more and more clear that there are different rules and we're going to have to solve for those different rules. And I also think we're going to see as patients become more and more aware of their data being everywhere, that they're going to want to be more involved in this. So I really think we all need to be engaged to solve for state individual privacy concerns, or we're going to end up going backward in interoperability progress as folks become more and more concerned about their privacy, unless we can solve for that. As far as Tefka goes, I said this earlier, and I'll repeat myself. I think like most things, it's going to work if people are committed to engaging in the necessary discussions and working through challenges to make it work. But I also think it's really important that we're realistic about expectations. We need to be excited about the wins that we have and value incrementalism and be really, really honest that nothing is going to happen overnight. But again, I think if people are committed to making it work, and as Erica said, we can show the value propositions, then we're going to bring interoperability that much further. So I feel like I'm really lucky to be at a place where we're committed to making it work. And I'm excited to see where we go. Thank you so much. Thanks, Erica. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, Jay, for taking the time to talk with us today. Really appreciate you joining us and for your thoughtful comments. Thank you. Thanks, Jody. Yeah, thanks for having us. Payers, Providers, and Patients Oh My is a podcast brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash healthcare podcast. Thank you.